With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Real sports guys. Every day I'm trying to make it happen. 
<laughs> if you didn't know, D. Woods is a Steeler fan. It's a good motto, though. It's a good motto, though. It works. Applicable. That's wonderful. Transferable value. I That other voice you hear chiming in. That other voice you hear chiming in is my man Phil T. Sports PhD. What's happening, Kevin? I'd like to apologize to our listeners, our fans. It's the third week of the year, and we're just getting back on it. Um, but in the words of Mike Tomlin, it was wrong. It was selfish. <laughs> and it was a distraction. Uh, I love the energy. Well, let's do this, fellas. And you're right. It's been a long time. We shouldn't have left you all. Uh, third week of the year, and you're fine against the real sports guys. Yeah, that's too long. So we're going to hit you off tonight. You already feel the energy. We got a great podcast lined up for you all. Uh, this, uh, this this portion of the show is known as the run, uh, the intro to let them know we, we give you a quick rundown of everything we have in store for you all tonight. First up, we're going to talk NFL football. We're going to give you a divisional round recap. And the real sports guys are going to hit you off with our new information. What do we now know? Not what we think. Not what we prophesize. What do we know? Right? What do we know now after the divisional round? Then we're going to play a little approve or disapprove. We got a bunch of topics there to run through. Then we're going to hit you with some NBA talk. We're at the halfway mark of the NBA season. So we're going to get in and we're going to go down and give you our all-star starters plus a six-man our breakout teams slash players. Uh, we're going to talk about the Knicks. We're going to get into uh, trade stuff, Warriors or Cavs, favorite other contender, MVP. So we're going to spend a lot of time on football and basketball, getting you caught up, um, catching up with you. It's going to be like a family reunion, you know, where you got to sit down with that one uncle and kind of just like build with him for a little bit, you know, just, just update on everything that's going on. You know, you might not like it, you know, but you got to build with him for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Just, just kind of give him that update. So we're going to give you that update. We're going to bring you through everything. Everything. All right? So, fellas, somebody's making a lot of noise in the background. Is that you, D-Wills? I think that might be Phil and... Uh... He must be uh, in a, in a well, Whoever it is, it sounds like you're fighting stormtroopers. <laughs> like somebody shooting lasers at you. <laughs> Use the force, young Skywalker. <laughs> Get him off you. <laughs> I felt, I felt like I was sick. I wanted to walk that one back, but. But usually I am the culprit. Usually I am yeah, the culprit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I had to speak up for myself at that point. Guilty as charged. Yeah, usually, yeah, usually you got like, like you be doing the show in the construction zone or something. Like you got noise makers. Like you doing a, you doing a show in the nursery or something. Like babies around and you got <laughs> noise makers and squeaky toys and <laughs> clankers and toy instruments. 
Yeah, that should be my I'm house. always trying to outfit the room, man. I'm testing out technology that's not working. I'm going back to the basics. All right. All hosting calls are brought to you by Carbon World Health, your complete solution for fitness, health, and beauty. Go to CarbonWorldHealth.com to connect with Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his staff to learn more about lifestyle medicine. Tell them that the Real Sports Guys send you. Uh, make sure you follow us, the Real Sports Guys, and like us at RealSportsGuys.com. Also, go there to check out my man, Sekou Burmese. He has dropped his annual hip-hop year in review. Uh, he's dropped the one for 2016. Make sure you go to RealSportsGuys.com and check that out. It is uh, very insightful. He breaks down a year in hip-hop, gives you his favorite albums, um, compares artists to sports icons and basketball players. He, he does a masterful job of breaking it down. Um, and he, Every year I read it, I always get hip to some music that I wasn't necessarily really digging. He always gets me – his breakdown always gives me the, uh, the urge to go, just back, go back and revisit something that maybe I, I listened to, but maybe I didn't give it that thorough, thorough – Listen, um, and I always do that because I, I value his opinion, and uh, he's got a great perspective on everything. So if you're into music, make sure you go to realsportsguys.com. Check out Sekou's end of the year uh, hip-hop year in review for 2016. All right, gentlemen, NFL divisional playoff round. We're going to go game by game. I want to know what you learned. All right, first game, we had Patriots versus Texans. Uh, D. Wills, what did you learn from this game? I, I mean, one thing I did learn, even from the losing side of it, that you know, if you're a Houston Texan fan, you know you got a championship defense. Um, those cats battled as much as they could with one arm uh, behind their back. Um, you know, but I, you know, I don't know if I learned anything new other than I had a sense of the outcome. Um, I guess it just reinforced that. The Patriots are going to be a juggernaut. But I also, you know, learned that um, the Patriots aren't as invincible as we might think. Um, you know, even towards the end of the game when they kind of ran away with it with the Texans, um, you saw some things that they are vulnerable on, particularly with getting pressure. Uh, if you think about it, I have not seen Brady get hit as much. And so even though they tried to work on improving that offensive line, um, Brady took some shots and complained to the referee as, as much as he could about the shots he was taking, but that that offensive line is still vulnerable up the middle. And if you're going to really try to press Brady, you've got to get him up the middle. So um, they're a great team, but I, I, I saw some things that I thought could be exploited. And I think defensively, you know, Osweiler just missed a lot of throws, some wide open things, some different things that New England really needs to sure up in that defensive backfield. I kind of feel like they defensive backfield the way I felt about Alabama defensive backfield. You know, they can be exploited in places that um, I think, um, you know, uh, in this next round you might see. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, I think those are the kind of things that I think I, I learned from that game. It, 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 was, it was lopsided so much that there wasn't much to pull up, but those are things I could pull out of that game. All right. PhD, what did you learn from Houston? And New England. One big thing. The Denver Broncos have to be excited and elated. They did not put all that money into Brock Osweiler. He's horrible. I'm with you on that. I, we definitely solidified that in that game. 
the thing that I learned, um, the Texans have a championship defense. Davian Clowney is a full-out man um, and a beast. Um, and he, 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 he's becoming what they thought that they, they hoped that they had when they took him number one. I think when you pair him with J.J. Watts, uh, they're going to have a nice defense and feel to echo your sentiment. I think we learned that uh, Brock Osweiler is on the clock, man, because um, they got a window right now where that defense is going to be strong, and he either got to put up or he's going to get kicked out. It's just, it's just like that. That's the way it is. Um, Tony Romo. He's got to make Romo. it happen. Hey, Romo, Kaepernick, I mean, somebody, anybody. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of candidates out there that I take over Osweiler in particular. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of Osweiler. And I think if I'm the Houston Texans management, I got to figure out my quarterback situation stat because the defense is ready. They got a solid running game. You know, DeAndre Hopkins had a down year, but he's, I think, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Will Fuller was a nice rookie this year. So they got some pieces to do some things. Um, They just need a trigger man. And as soon as they find that, they take a jump in a pretty wide-open division that they can own if they get a signal caller. Um, So moving on to the next game uh, in new information, Atlanta-Seattle. PhD, what did you learn? Well, um, Atlanta's defense, I think, played a lot better than expected. Their offense, they've been really the game stopper on that team all year. But their defense, I was surprised they got so much pressure on Russell Wilson. And then on the other side of the ball, Seattle, man, they just seem to be busting at the edges. They don't. They don't seem to be the same team. I mean, I think of um, the Pistons after they won those two championships in the 80s and early 90s. And then within a year or two, they just they weren't the same team. Guys started getting injured. Um, the veterans weren't dominating anymore. And it almost felt like that the league has figured Seattle out. And... Um, I don't want to overreact, but they they looked horrible. I mean, I won't say horrible. I'll keep that word for Osweiler. But they didn't look <laughs> they they didn't look like the best unit on that team. And I've watched them play a full game two or three times this year, and in at least two of those situations, they did not look like the best unit on that team. The offense looked better than the defense. Yeah. Uh... I think they are at a tipping point, turning point, however you want to describe it, where they have to figure out um, if they're going to maintain the defense first identity or if they're going to move into a direction where they really hand over the keys to the franchise to Russell Wilson um, and figure out whether or not they're going to uh, start to build that offense up and continue to grow that offense or if they are going to uh, reload on defense. Um, because I think right now they're at that phase where they're in a little bit of an identity crisis that sometimes teams go through, particularly teams with great defenses. Because if you've got a great quarterback, you can ride that out for about six or seven years. But great defenses have a very, very small window where you've got to start paying people, um, people's deals come up, people start getting hurt, people age out really quickly. Like There's it's, it's a lot of moving parts to a great defense, and it's really hard to maintain that for an extended period of time. 
Whereas if you got a great quarterback, well, that's one guy. And as long as he's there, you got that guy, and it's just putting pieces around him, and the pieces can be interchangeable as long as he's solid. So I'm with you. I think they're at a, they're at a, a breaking point in Seattle. PA, uh, D. Wills, what are your thoughts on the uh, Atlanta-Seattle game? What did you learn? Um, Atlanta, um, one thing about Atlanta, uh, they finally have what I call moving towards a championship-style defense. I think part of Atlanta's problem, um, even under the Ryan, – Ryan's received a lot of criticism, but I've always felt like they didn't have a defense that could get that stop. And what they demonstrated is that they do have a defense. They have a lead rusher in, uh, with Beasley who can um, make things happen. Um, and they won the game they were supposed to win. On the Seattle side, you know, what you saw was the deterioration of what was not only their defense was their strength, but their offensive line was their strength. And what I don't see is an elite offensive line. And you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, what benefited them in the past is uh, the fact that they had to underpay Russell Wilson. So you can invest in all these other parts. I think the place that took the biggest hit was, you know, they went from Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl linemen, right? They had but Jones, they had all these guys on the line that was part of anchoring that. And to me, that became the issue this year. Um, and so where do they go from here? I think they have to reinvest in um, developing that offensive line. You know, I think they still have to parts on defense, but I think uh, like a lot of teams are finding the value of having a strong offensive line. I think they have to make some commitments. One of the things that hurts you a lot when you win is, uh, particularly the NFL, is you lose a lot with your assistant coaches. Your assistant coaches become head coaches. Some of your top assistants become coordinators. And that environment around teaching and player development is hit. And where I think they have the biggest hit is in their offensive line. I mean, Russell Wilson got hit more this year than he's ever been hit. And a lot of that has to do with not having a really good strong offensive line in a running game. And I'll see, I think you'll see them invest a little bit more in the offensive line. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. As we move on to the next game, the Dallas Cowboys versus the Green Bay Packers, the meat Packers of Green Bay. Uh, I'll tell you what I learned from this game. Um, one, um, the Packers are hot. And, you know, I, the weird thing for me is that we always kind of question whether or not teams should rest players. And we always try and push, like, oh, they need to rest their guys once they got stuff locked up. I, I'm just not a big fan of that. I think you keep your players in rhythm. And, you know, it took the Cowboys a quarter or so to get back into a rhythm where they were executing at a high level. And I think that might have cost them the game ultimately. Um, was that lacked just a start to the game. Um, and I think, again, that happens. you got a week off. I don't understand why, particularly in the NFL, where you get a bye, why it's so important to rest guys those last games when guys aren't hurt. Like, if they ain't hurt, let them play. Um, you go have a week off anyway. Uh, but, again, time and time again, we see teams that rest guys and then they, they, they run up against a team that's been battling and, and it doesn't go their way. Um, I'd, I'd like to see some numbers on, on, on the, the win percentage of those teams coming off a of bye um, that first week after not having to really press themselves to lock up that, that, top, that top seed or second seed. Um, it, it, it would be interesting. The, the other thing I learned is that uh, 
the Cowboys have a formula that I think is going to be, and D. Wills, you're kind of alluding to this right now. They got a formula that's going to be emulated, um, I think, throughout the league over the next couple of years. You're going to see teams investing and investing and investing in players in the trenches, dominating the line of scrimmage. I think there's going to be a shift in football, and I think it's going to start because there's a really strong rookie uh, running back class coming into the league where you got Fournette, you got Dalvin Cook, you got McCaffrey. You got some really good guys who are projected to be really strong running backs, and we haven't had that in a long time where we've had three, maybe four running backs who might go in the first round. Um, We may see a shift in the league as the league has gotten kind of smaller up front, um, more speed on the defense to cover passes, where it shifts back to a more power-based style um, where you see teams investing in their offensive line and really getting some some guys who can run the ball and really looking to give a guy 20 to 25 touches a night, um, again, as it was 10, 15 years ago in the league. So, um, you know, the, you might see that trend starting to take place um, around the league. Uh, D. Wills, what did you learn from the Packers and the uh, Cowboys game? Well, I mean, um, you know, elite quarterback play is still important, obviously. But, you know, I think you, you made an interesting um, uh, remark around time off. And I think Bill Poley and I heard him talk about, they, you know, they ran a study on this. He looked at this when they're trying to make decisions. And I think basically what he found it was about 50-50. Um, but I, I think what, what, what pushes it on for the Cowboys on the side of playing, I think your, part of your equation has to look at um, to the extent your key players are veterans versus um, are you in the developmental stage of your team, developing your identity versus being veterans and experienced and winning. I think that's where in, in, in Dallas was clearly in a phase where they were learning how to deal with success, which means that they have, they're, they're still building championship habits, which means you should just play through. For them, they, you know, they're two elite offensive players, a quarterback and a running back, and it meant keep them in rhythm. You know, with someone like an Aaron Rodgers, if you want to rep him or some of those key veteran players on a team like that, you know, if he, if he wasn't playing every game for the last half of the season, like with the playoff game, you could do that with Aaron Rodgers because they have developed habits and ways to prepare, and you can make a decision like that. I think it was pretty obvious in Dallas that they were still learning how to win. You know, they hadn't really won a significant game like this in a long time. And so um, that you reminded me when you have youth like that, you've got to put more emphasis on developing your culture, proving that you can win, and staying in rhythm. The other thing is that as good as, the Dallas, as Dallas was, particularly defensively, they still were missing that elite player up front. You know, at a time when they needed to make a play, um, and in games like that, when you're playing against a great quarterback like that, you've got to have an elite rusher or someone who can get you something um, with four people rushing. Um, that's still a piece they're going to have to have for them to play against elite quarterbacks, um, as well as having, you know, they schemed a lot of people with a great, I think, middle linebacker, but they did a lot of scheming uh, to win throughout the year. And I think it worked because they had an offense who held possession. But when you get to a, a play against a league player like Aaron Rodgers and, and, and teams that have experienced success, you need people in defense, as we've seen in some of the other games, who can mature and grow and make plays. And 
to me, that's that next area of development. If they can do that, you know, Cowboys got a formula for winning for a long time if they can stay disciplined. Um, on the Green Bay Packers side, you know, Aaron's just like, you know, he's carrying them, you know, um, and they got some smoke and mirrors because he's so elite. He can let them get away with a lot of things. Um, but, you know, there's nothing like a hot team. And like you said, in the NFL, you can get hot and you can run off three or four games. You know, you can run them off um, before people catch up to you. Um, and nobody's hotter than him. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this plays in Atlanta um, uh, in terms of how this, how this continues to go. But, you know, you can still win with a great quarterback who can lead and make incredible plays. And Aaron proved that on the road. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm glad I got out of Dallas this weekend driving out before they lost because I don't think I would have gotten out. You know, I think that place just crashed. <laughs> they lost. I, I, I've never talked to so many fans, but, you know, Stephen A. was probably happy. You know, he predicted <laughs> that this was going to happen. And, uh, but if I'm a Dallas fan, I'm happy. I'm happy with where we're at. I think we can, they can build on it. Yeah, you got to be happy. You're ahead of schedule. I mean, you're way ahead of schedule. I mean, you 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 ain't yeah. think you're gonna be 13 and three when the season started once Romo got hurt. Ain't no way. Ain't no no way, way to world. Um, yeah. So you got you got to kind of use playing with house money. So you got to take that and run. Yeah. Use the learning experience to keep moving. Uh, Paz, what'd you learn from the Packers Cowboys game? Aaron Rodgers is amazing. That pass set up the game-winning field goal. I think it was 36 yards, rolling to his left, throwing to his right, wrong leg, and then the catch. If the throw wasn't as amazing and accurate as it was, we'd be talking about that catch. I mean, that was just an amazing play executed from the pass to the catch. And Donald Driver was on Sports Talk Radio earlier this week. He mentioned that the Packers, they practice that all the time. On a scramble, you run your normal route, and then it's, it's almost a scramble for the receivers to, to come back to the ball or do something different to kind of shake loose. And I tell you what, McCarthy, I'm, I'm starting to think different about this guy because his team seems to be prepared, whether it's the, um, the Hail Marys that have been just, more successful than most other teams frequently, or it's, you know, that play where it just blew my mind. I, I replayed that play four times. It was, oh, my goodness. It was amazing. To me, that was one of the best plays I've ever seen in football. Now, it wasn't a playoffs, but it wasn't at a huge, huge stage like the Super Bowl. Had that happened in the Super Bowl, that would go down as one of the best plays ever in the NFL. Absolutely. And, you know, there were a lot of folks uh, being in Wisconsin and at the epicenter of all of the Packer love. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks compared that to the, what was it, fourth and 36 against the Eagles back when and during the Favre era where McNabb completed a fourth and 36 to send the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Um, or to the NFC Championship, I can't remember what level they were at of the playoffs, but that was like a play that haunted Packer fans. And a lot of folks were, were talking about and posting about how, you know, that, that play right there uh, exercised um, those fourth and 36 demons um, from, uh, from, from Packer lore. 
Um, well, you know, if, the other thing, if it was if it was Andy Reid and if it was Andy Reid and the Eagles, it probably was for them to go to the NFC Championship, not the Super Bowl. <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> True statement, but shots fired. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, I think they made one Super Bowl. I think they made one Super Bowl. I can't remember what year it was, but I think they snuck into one during the McNabb era. Um, but McCarthy has a really weird relationship with Packer fans, um, and I don't understand it. But Packer fans, every time there's any sign of, like, weakness, they go calling for McCarthy's job, and I don't get it. I don't understand it. The The, the McCarthy haters are quiet right now, but, man, they, they – at the, at the beginning of the season, they were loud, man. They were loud. They were really loud, and they were calling for his job. And, you know, it's funny how they pipe down now that they've kind of put it together. But you're right. His teams are always prepared. And because of the injuries and the way they kind of draft guys and bring guys into their system, and they don't really get a lot of free agents. That's another critique. They don't like the GM, Ted Thompson, because they feel like he, uh, he doesn't go after free agents um, enough. Um, and he has this draft and develop uh, philosophy that fans kind of are uh, questionable of. But um, they really, like, you, you really see the injuries and how they develop young guys over the course of the season. And they will, they're willing to take their lumps early so that their teams are playing better late and ha- they have more depth, right? Like, during this run, guys like Geronimo Allison and uh, Gunter, and other guys who were pretty much kind of off the street, seventh-round picks, late-round picks, who are playing big roles at the end of a season. And you see this every year where guys kind of come out of nowhere on the Packers roster at the end of a season and are playing big roles and contributing um, and playing winning football. And that's just because they're willing to take their lumps with the guys. They coach them up during the season. They take their lumps when guys get hurt. um, And they develop kids. And the guys come out, and and they're better at the end. And at the end of the season, they're a deeper team with more options, and they're tougher to beat. And that's what you're seeing again this year. So moving on to the last and final game, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, (laughs) P.A.D., what did you learn from this game? I know something's coming. That's why I'm giggling. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I believe it was a hold. I believe Fisher did hold Harrison. I believe that the NFL did want to see the Steelers and the Patriots, but I don't think that had anything to do with that touchdown being called back. And to me, it was just a great game. Arrowhead is one of the best stations to watch a game on TV. That that environment just looks amazing. Now, Antonio Brown, um, Really? Really? (laughs) Really? Man, I think think he got an endorsement or something for Facebook Live. I don't know, something. Because that that was just amazing. That was spectacular. And I'm at a loss of words, man. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you really start to question, like, Rod, what you doing? Like, you ain't even took off your jersey yet. You got your phone out? <laughs> like, as a high school coach, one of my kids did that. I'm like, um, what is you doing? 
know what I mean? Like, at what level can you do that? You know what I mean? What level is that acceptable? Um, I don't know. I just feel like if a high school kid can't do it, a professional who gets paid to do this should be, you know, as Bo Ryan once said, you know, anybody Facebooking on a blockout, um, but they Facebooking in the locker room. So, <laughs> D. Wills, you're a Steelers fan. What did you learn from the Steelers Chiefs game? You know, when I started talking about Steelers in the beginning of the year, um, you know, the offense is getting a lot of attention. But one of the things I was really um, looking at is the development of some of the Steelers' young defensive players and, um, you know, their linebacking core. And you, you probably saw probably towards the last half of the season those guys beginning to come together. And uh, Shazier particularly has just been uh, a beast. And a lot of that, I think, you know, having someone like Harrison and, um, you know, um, you know, having Joey around as the coach to um, mentor some of these young linebackers, um, you begin to – you really see it in a game like this game against the Chiefs where it's just about you need to buckle up and play. <laughs> like, there ain't, no, ain't going to be no break. You know, Barry going to be bringing in on defense. Them cats going to be coming, and you got to be able to bring it. And I was impressed that um, defensively they were able to match. Uh, I think Chiefs have a great defense being a match in intensity. Um, but I think also I think for uh, the Chiefs, the separation is, you know, I think they have, you know, I think a real good quarterback championship kind of atmosphere. You need that that guy that can make that play. Um, and, um, you know, I think they're going to continue to kind of grow in that area. You know, solid organization. You know, I've been on uh, on our coach over there a lot um, just because um, I think that I think he could have greater outcomes. Uh, but he's kind of tied himself to uh, this kind of offensive philosophy. Um, I thought it was great. And then, you know, Antonio Brown, other than the Facebook stuff, was incredible. And then, you know, Le'Veon. Le'Veon um, rushing um, was incredible. You know, they held uh, the Chiefs to like 61 yards rushing um, in Arrowhead, um, you know, less than 300 yards total offense. And so, I, you know, I thought it was a great display for the Steelers. Everybody um, – Picked against the Steelers one in. I would think, you know, going to Arrowhead, that was, I think they're building momentum towards this Patriots kind of. But I thought it was a great game. I listened to it on the radio on the way home. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a Steelers fan. I would be glad to see the, the, them get out to victory. But, you know, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are, again, set up to be successful. You know, they got to move on from Charles. They got to figure out what they're going to do offensively. Um, in the long run, they need another receiver threat in there. They got to get more vertical in their offense, but it was a great game. Yeah. Um, yeah, to your point about the quarterback play, uh, you got to have, I think at some point, you got to have a guy who could do something that the other coach can't scheme for. You know, whether that's basketball, football, those sports where people have the ball in their hands and they can make plays in that way, you got to have one one person who can do some stuff that the other coach just can't do nothing about. You know, that the other – like, we can watch all the film we want. We ain't see that play on tape. Like like Aaron Rodgers. Like, you can watch all the film you want. That play that they they ran, he made that up in the huddle. You ain't see that on tape. You know what I mean? Like, ain't nothing you can do about that. And you got to have – at this level, at this stage of the uh, season, you've got to have a, a trigger man who uh, 
who can do that. You know, I'm watching the Bucks and uh, the the Rockets right now, and, and James Harden is doing that exact thing right now. He's just doing stuff that you can't you can't stop, you can't guard. He's just coming down and, and he's hitting threes. And what what are you gonna do about that? You know, like there's no. I mean, figure it out. <laughs> you gotta so, be able to get those chunk plays, right? You gotta get those things over 20 yards. And um, you know, the Chiefs 20 yard play is. Um, you know, uh, you know, handing off on you know on on some type of uh, counter action and hoping that you know they get a break on a on a, on a reverse. You know, it, there's nothing that makes you stretch the field. Like, can you get those twenty yard plus plays? If you think about the quarterbacks who are left, they all can. They can all get that chunk play, right? Um, and they can get that. You know, Tomlin talked about that. You know, how many of those 20-plus-yard plays can you produce? And when I watch the Chiefs, other than their tight end and then what's my guy, the, 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 the receiver, multi, you know, those have to be manufactured. Tyreek Yeah, Tyreek Hill. They're not just going to produce those, right? Brown can just beat you deep. <laughs> you got to be ready for that. Um, but I, that's the thing I think the Chiefs are missing, and I don't know if that's because they can't throw deep or they don't have the – I think that's what they're missing. If they can get those chunk plays, I think the Chiefs, they got a championship that deep. Nobody can talk about their defense. Their defense is out of this world. Their offense can get those 20-plus yard plays, those quick hitters. The Chiefs can be formidable. Yeah, I think the question is, are they going to be there with Alex Smith? I think that, that's yeah, the question. Alex, I don't know if In my good. opinion, that's the question. Is the trigger man capable of, of going out there and, and making that happen? Um He's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's at that next level quarterback though, but he's good. He's good. He's, he's good. definitely good. Um, the thing I learned from the Steelers and the uh, Chiefs game is that Bill Belichick has a real funny sense of humor when he want to talk about snap face and instant chat. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's almost like he tried too hard not to know it. <laughs> Oh man, I, I I appreciate that response, man, because that's that's how I'd answer, man. I don't know nothing about no snap face. Y'all want to insta chat, knock yourselves out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You won't catch me on Twitter books. <laughs> so I, I I appreciate that about uh uh Belichick. He he was trolling everybody a little bit, saying you guys think I'm a curmudgeon. I'm gonna play the role to the fullest. So I ain't mad at that. Um, predictions, predictions for the uh, the championship round. Uh, PhD, who you got winning the AFC? Ooh, this is tough. Um, I'm gonna go with the Steelers. I think the Steelers are the more complete team. A lot of people forget Le'Veon Bell was not playing earlier in the year. Plus, Ben was injured. This. This team easily could have had another two or three wins, and now all of a sudden they're they're not playing divisional weekend or wild card weekend. They're a one or two seed. The Patriots they concern me as far as being able to run the ball. They were able to do it earlier in the year with Blunt, but I don't know. Blunt hasn't had much success against the Steelers um, in the last couple of years, so. 
even before he went to go play for the Steelers when he was with the Patriots, he didn't have much success there. So I, uh, I'm going to go with the, the, Steel, the Steelers on this one. All right. D-Wills. Here we go. AFC. Here we go. That's all I need to say. Steelers. Right. He pulled out his terrible towel. Right. I got a Ryan Frank. Oh, there it is. I see it. <laughs> all right. I just hear you going with the Steelers. Yeah. I'm going with the Steelers, yeah. too. I just said the, the, the Patriots, when you start really rattling off the Patriots' personnel, I'm not really excited <laughs> outside of Brady. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt, he had a good season, really good season, but I just don't see him being that dude. And Edelman is nice, but he ain't that dude, and Gronk is hurt, and I just – I'm not impressed by the Patriots personnel. And then when you're talking about Pittsburgh, I mean, you got a, a top-five quarterback, best running back in the league, best wide receiver in the league. Then you got a linebacking core, and this is what I love about Pittsburgh, and I, and I love franchises that do this across sports, but they understand who they are, and they invest in, in their brand in a different way, like their on-field brand. Like, Pittsburgh is just known for linebackers, man. It's just what they – it's just nasty linebackers. And bringing back James Harrison, having Joey Porter, as you mentioned earlier, uh, D. Wills, Joey Porter as a uh, – Defensive coach, um, when your coach is going out and getting arrested at bars <laughs> for fighting at bars after games, you, you got a it's a problem. But you got a culture, right? You got a culture that uh, nastiness <laughs> amongst those linebackers, and as long as they contain it, right, it's a good thing. And and those guys are teaching the younger guys how to be that, and and that, I think that's important. That's important to me, and I, I like when I see franchises, like, get it. Like, this is something that is unique to us, and we're going to invest in it, and we're going to keep that going, and we're going to keep that a part of our identity. Um, you know, it's, it's just it's just it's really valuable, um, and, and I like that. I like that. And so I'm, I'm going with the Steelers. I like, I like what they got going right now. I think, you know, it'll be good to see Tomlin get back to the Super Bowl, especially after uh, Bradshaw's cheerleader comments. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see that happen. Um, and you know, you notice they haven't lost since uh, he made that comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terry Bradshaw, yeah, they, he just is. They, they've, been is. Little, they've been a little focused. They've been a little focused. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So we move over to the NFC. We move over to the NFC. D. Wills, who you got winning the NFC championship? Man, this is tough. Atlanta's made me some believers, man. When you just think about pure talent, the thing, the thing that I worried about Atlanta is whether or not um, they could step up defensively. Um, I've always been concerned about their their pass rush, but um, really fix some things defensively. Uh, had a lot to do with their head coach um, and. Uh, that atmosphere, man, in Atlanta was crazy, man. You know, as y'all know, it's a transplant kind of city. Folks are there, but they're from everywhere else. But that really felt like folks in Atlanta was creating that environment and have really rallied around that team. Um, and so I think it's going to be a close one, but I just think that um, the, the Falcons have offensively have a lot of firepower. 
that can expose a lot of things on Green Bay's defense that both the Giants and Dallas couldn't do for a number of different reasons. But I think Atlanta's offense is incredible. It's going to be handled, hard to handle. And I think defensively they play well uh, in that space. I, you know, I think it's going to be close, but I think it's Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, Atlanta's got a lot of talent offensively, man. Again, Julio Jones, if Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the league, Julio Jones is 1A. He's right there. I mean, right there. Um, his thing is just he's always nicked up. But when he's right, good Lord, uh, watch out. He can play some football. Um, then you got the running backs, and they have an explosive tandem of running backs. Like, usually yeah. teams have a tandem of running backs where one dude is the power back and one dude's like, scat back type. Now, they got two dudes that can hit home runs at any given moment. They got two home run hitters coming at you all the time. Um, and Matt Ryan, this is his year. This was his year. We kind of said this was a kind of a make-or-break year. There are a couple of quarterbacks who are in that same boat, Stafford, Matt Ryan, um, Andrew Luck, guys who have been on the radar for a while and we've been talking about as being good young quarterbacks, and now they're not so young anymore and they got to start winning some stuff. Um, so it, it, it's been a good year for him. Uh, uh, PhD, who you got winning the NFC? We'll go with the Packers. They just – they're hot. I, I also think it's going to be a very close game. I'm going to go with the Packers. Hopefully, Jordy Nelson comes back. And I I think they can do it. Yeah, my heart is hoping for the Packers, but they got a lot of injuries, a lot of guys banged up. Uh, Nelson is banged up. Devontae Adams is banged up. Those are the two top touchdown receiving wide receivers in the league. Uh, that's a lot of production to replace if they don't play. Um Randall Cobb is finally getting healthy and looking good like his old self. But, you know, when you just got Cobb and Geronimo Allison, uh, that worries me a little bit. Even Aaron Rodgers may not be able to make up for that lack of weapons um, against a team that can put up points. And the Packers' defense, while they've been during this run, um, still has some, some struggles on the back end of it. The secondary is still pretty banged up. Quentin Rollins hurt his neck a couple weeks ago and hasn't been back. Um, so, you know, they've been struggling in kind of a mass unit in the back line. Morgan Burnett is out. So there's just there's just a lot going on with the Packers in the secondary that I think bodes well for Atlanta's high-octane offense um, to be able to take advantage of some things. So uh, I'm going with the Packers, but I'm hedging my bets just a little bit. Um, we'll see. We'll see. So – I want to finish this up. We're going to do some uh, NFL talk. We're going to do approve or disapprove. There's a lot going on in the league, right? We got the Chargers moving to L.A. Approve or disapprove, PhD? Huh. Um, I'm going to say disapprove. I think the L.A. market has a team. And um, now they're getting another team. And San Diego, I mean, that poor city, man, they used to have a basketball franchise. Now they're, now they're just down to a Major League Baseball franchise. I don't approve it. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't see L.A. as a as a football rabbit town where they could handle two teams. It's just too much other stuff to do. You know what I'm saying? It's just, like, it's not like New York. Like, New York, once it get cold, I'm staying in the house. <laughs> 
I watch a football game on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. It's just. It's a lot to do in New York, but I'd rather just stay at the crib. What can I do at the crib? Oh, football on. I watch the Jets. I watch the Giants. I can see that. L.A. It's kind of unless you like unless you're really good, unless you got some superstars, you're gonna be an afterthought. You just that's just how it's gonna work. And if you don't have star power in L.A., it's not really gonna work well. And football is probably the hardest sport to have, like, star stars because it's such a team game. And if your quarterback isn't that star, it's really hard to rally around it because only quarterbacks become megastars. Like, you have your J.J. Watts and people like that from time to time. But really, if you're not a quarterback in the NFL, you're not going to become a megastar. Um, and I don't know if Jared Goff is going to be that for the Rams. And we know Phillip Rivers ain't going to be a megastar for the Chargers. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they ran the numbers. They're going to make money. Um, they're going to make more money than they would have if they stayed. And all of that makes sense. But I just feel like, you know, you're, you're in for a run as second fiddle um, in a town where even the first chair ain't really a nice chair. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoever sitting in the first chair ain't really sitting pretty. And, you know, the second chair is, like, off in a corner collecting dust. You know, like you can't even see you can't even see the the stage from the second chair. So I'm not I'm not I'm not a fan of the move either. D Wills, your thoughts? Approve or disapprove? I mean, under the current yeah, under the current business model, which uh depends everything on public funding. Uh, I was listening to I think it was NPR today was doing a long um conversation around this thing. And I mean the model the way it's set up is set up for owners to be able to pocket as much money as they have. Um, it's not, it's all built around public funding. Um, you know, charges by all accounts had one of the worst stadiums, worst situation deals in the league. Um, so something had to get done. And under the current business model, I'll prove it. And whatever they get, whether they second to the work, they get what they deserve. So I'll prove it because that's just the business model of the day. And, you know, greed is going to push you towards something, and I hope it works out for you. Um, so on that, on the current business model, until they change it, you know, you're not going to you're not going to have any – you're going to have this kind of movement uh, when you can't get a public deal. When you can't get the public to pay for something, that's just the kind of deal that the NFL is running. They pimp in the game. Under the pimp game, I approve it. <laughs> I feel more – <laughs> they ain't never been about the people. Right, right. Well, we're going to wrap up our NFL talk right there. Uh, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. You listen to the, uh, the Real Sports Guys, brought to you by Carbon World Health. Make sure you connect with Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his staff to learn more about lifestyle medicine. Check them out at CarbonWorldHealth.com. Tell them the real sports guy sent you. Fellas, we're going to take a quick break, all right? And we're going to be right back. Uh, and we're going to get into some NBA talk to finish out this show, man. So let's go ahead. I'm going to queue up something real quick, and then we're going to get into it.
All right, welcome back to Real Sports, guys. The real guys talk real sports. RSG, Renegade Radio, back in full effect for 2017. Fellas, NBA season. Man, this has been a great season of, for NBA hoops. Um, you know, just a lot going on. We got a guy chasing a triple-double, averaging a triple-double in Russell Westbrooks. We have James Harden averaging 12 assists and flirting with leading the league in scoring and and leading the league in assists, which hasn't been done since Tiny Archibald. Um, Just a lot of great players kind of coming into their own in the league this year. Um, So we're going to run through a few things. Uh, We're going to start with – we're getting – we're at that halfway point. Um, All-star selections are are being made. You can go to NBA.com or you can vote on Twitter. Um, A lot of different venues where you can vote for your favorite All-Stars. Make sure you do that. Uh, But you can go on and you can vote for the All-Stars this year. Uh, We got our own All-Stars. We're going to give our top – our starting five for each conference and a six-man. So we'll start with you, uh, PhD. Give me your starting five for the Western Conference and your six-man based on the first half of the season. Yeah, this was – this was interesting because I'll uh, it was interesting because the guard position was really tough for me. Um, I mean, you got Curry, you got Harden, and you got Westbrook. And it was tough for me to leave Curry off of the starting lineup. But I did. So I'm going to go with Westbrook and Harden. Uh, Curry, uh, I guess I guess I'm uh, not not a uh, not a whole lot of suspense, but he's my sixth man. Um, for the front uh, for the front court, I'm going with Durant, um, Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard, I heard something the other day. He's the first spur. To, to score, I don't know, if it was 950 points or something um, in the first 41 games since Tim Duncan did it like six, seven, eight years ago. Um, so I uh, – Durant was interesting because um, I uh, – well, I'll say that for later. Um so that's my that's my starting five. And my six <laughs> See, I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep that bullet in the holster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep that one in the chamber. Yeah. All right. I ain't mad at you. Okay. That's a solid. That's a solid six. That's a solid six. Um, I got no issues with that. D. Wills. Any issues with Phil six? Then give me yours. No, I don't have. I mean, I don't have any issues with um, with his. Um, Six. I think he. I think first of all, I think Phil noted that I think this is a very difficult exercise because there's been so many um, great kind of uh, performances this year. So, so I'm going with my six in the West. Is that how you looking at it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm probably similar to Phil. So I'm going with um, Harden, Westbrook, Durant. Leonard and Cousins. 
And this one was difficult for me in the sixth man because I think there's a lot of good going up. I'm going to go with Steph at six. Okay. So here's a question for both of you guys. Um, where did AD, Anthony Davis, and Damon Lillard fit into your equations here? PAD, I'll let you go. Man. Lillard wasn't even in the picture. I mean, he's having a good first half, but to me his his team is severely underperforming. And when I look at he and um, he and Curry, that's where Curry clearly gets denied. I think even if the Portland was a fourth or fifth seed, I still would probably go to go with Curry. Uh, Davis, okay. Davis been hurt a little bit too much. He's been hurt a little bit too much for me, and and Cousins has just been he's been the man, quite honestly. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is <laughs> too bad he's doing what he's doing this season because it wasn't for Harden Westbrook, we may be looking at him as a potential MVP. Right, right, right. Yeah, timing is everything. Timing is everything, and man, it. There are lots of stars in the league right now. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to just bounce something off you guys that I think is, is, it's worth kind of thinking about. Um, my six, uh, I'm going Westbrook-Harden. I'm not very much going off your boards. Uh, Westbrook-Harden, Durant-Leonard, and then I got Anthony Davis as my uh, starting five. And then I got Cousins coming off the bench. Um, I just want to give some love to the bigs, man. It's so guard-heavy. Mm-hmm. The league is very guard heavy. I mean, you know, Curry's having a good year. Um, he's having a very good year by any other measure. He's not having the year he had last year, which again was his Super Saiyan year. I mean, his hair was on fire all year, and it's just hard to be that for an extended period of time, man. Um, but that was his signature year, and everybody has that signature year where they kind of set the tone of they they play at that level. Like when I'm at my best, this is what it looks like. Um, and Westbrook is having that year this year. Um, and I think Anthony Davis is having that year for himself. Um, you know, he shoots 50%, 30% from the arc, 80% from the line, almost 30 points a game, 11, 12 rebounds, uh, second or third, first, second or third in the league in blocks. So he's right there. It's just his team is so dang on bad. And, you know, when you look at, in the future, superstars potentially that could be available in free agency. AD is the one um, who, if I'm one of these other franchises, I'm trying to get my ducks in a row so that when he becomes a free agent, I can throw a boatload of money at that guy because I don't think he's going to – he has, up to this point, he's had no reason to um, trust the New Orleans organization, the Pelicans organization at this point, as far as being able to put a winning team around him. Um, and, you know, part of it is he's got to stay healthy, but the other piece is even when he's healthy, his buddies ain't healthy. Um, all his so-called support isn't healthy. So they got to figure that out in, uh, in New Orleans at some point. Moving on to the Eastern Conference. Uh, D. Wills, give me your top six, your starting five, and your, your guy off the bench. This was, I think, going to be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I think you know, for me it was kind of, it was difficult, man, because there's a lot of good ones. Um, so I'm going with uh, LeBron, uh, Kyrie, 
uh, Giannis, Love, uh, actually Isaiah Thomas, and then Butler as a sixth man. I, on some okay. level, I so is Love in or Love out? Love in or Love out? Huh? Is that? Love in or out? Love is in. Love is in. So you got Love, Giannis, Kyrie, Kyrie, Giannis, LeBron, and then Isaiah Thomas, and then and Butler. Jimmy Butler. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you got. So you ain't got no love. D. Wills ain't got no love for Demar Rosen. Demar Derozan. I love. I love. And I want you know. Twenty eight points a game. Can't get on your. Can't get on your All Star team. Man. Yeah, I, I I was playing between him, Isaiah Thomas, and Butler. I, and I had to think about it, I had DeMar in. I had DeMar in about three spots. So I, I you know, I, I can be – the East was difficult, man. <laughs> and so I could I could, I could be swayed. And DeMar could be okay. in. He could be a sixth man or he could be, he could be anywhere. So I, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Okay. All right. PhD, give me your five and your six man out of the East. Oh, this was a challenge. So LeBron, Giannis, um, for the for the third front court player, I'm actually going with Joel Embiid. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Going with Joel Embiid over Kevin Love, over Jimmy Butler, over Carmelo. Um, Embiid is uh, no question probably tracking to be the rookie of the year. I'm assuming mm-hmm. he qualifies as a rookie. Um, and I I heard the other day that his uh, <laughs> this is interesting. Jeff Van Gundy actually convinced me of this. Um, <laughs> the 76ers plus minus um, for how many ever games it was at that point of the of the season last week was something like a negative 450 over the course of the season. However, Embiid is like a plus 20. <laughs> That's that says something. That says something, considering that roster, man. Uh, in the back And yeah, considering the amount of minutes court, he played, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's only playing 25 minutes a night, some thir- sometimes 30, but he's not playing a lot of minutes. Um, For the backcourt, Kyle Lau- uh I'm sorry, Kyrie Irving, although he probably will start because he's a leading vocal getter at the – guard position, he didn't make my team. I'm actually going mm. with DeRozan and Lowry in the backcourt. Wow. And but you leave Lowry Isaiah Thomas off. But the starting lineup, yes. But he would be my sixth man. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. He would be my sixth man. It was tough between he and Kevin Love. But I gave, I gave Thomas a the edge because that dude is, uh, I mean, offensively, man, he is, he is dynamic. I watched yeah, the other night. He dropped, 
Yeah, he dropped like 38, 39 points, and he was giving it to people different ways, getting to the rack, shooting the open three, pick and roll, and he was creating for other people. It's, it's really the first time I've watched him this year, and they're using him much, much differently than mm-hmm. they have in previous years. And and honestly, I didn't see him as a potential feature feature player. I mean, they are they are running the offense through him, and he's looking really good. Um, Kyrie, Kyrie is to me. Kyrie is um, he's a guy who steps up and can make things happen, and and. In big moments, but I watch the Cavs more than anybody. And defensively, he is horrendous this year. Um, <laughs> and kind of like assessing quarterbacks, I have a hard time telling what NBA players are good defensively. But but he is just he is just blatant with it. And then there's times you can see him step up and really grind and play well defensively. So so that's the issue I have with, with Kyrie. Um, I like the backcourt for the Raptors. DeRozan, man, I, I haven't watched him play enough, and I need to look at his stats, but is is he making more threes this year, or is he still just a mid-range killer? He's still pretty much mid-range, man. That's what that's what right. crazy. That is what's crazy. I don't know how twenty four percent from the arc on one and a half attempts yeah, a game. Twenty four percent five. And he's just destroying people on two point shots. Yeah, he's doing yeah, it. Yeah, I mean how do you do that? It's 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 almost like if a guy does not have a left hand, you force him to the right. I'm sorry, to the left. Yeah. Um <laughs> I don't get it. No, you said if he doesn't have a right playoff. hand, you force it to the right. You said it right. You said right. if he doesn't have a right hand, okay. you force it to the right. Yeah, that's what you do. Okay. You know, in the playoffs last year, he his his efficiency was was just put on blast, and everybody was mentioning how does this guy, you know, the Raptors are going to have a hard time justifying to pay him to keep him. But 28 points, that that's impressive. And Lowry, Lowry over the last month of the season, he's been the top fantasy basketball player, and he's helped my team. So that's why he'll be starting in the all-star team if, if, if I was in charge. Hey, I ain't mad at you because, again, when you start to break down some of what these guys are doing, Lowry's giving you 22 a game on 48% shooting from the field, which has to be the highest shooting percentage he's ever had in his life. Um, 44% from three, 82% from the line. And so that goes to a larger point that I wanted to kind of point out is that, like, the league is stopped top to bottom with really, really good basketball players right now. And it's something that I think we got to appreciate and understand. Like, the NBA is at a point where, you know, unlike – the the guys that have come in have hit, right? The guys that have come in and are supposed to have been good have pretty much all hit. Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins is really good. You can see those guys becoming stars. But then you have, like, the guys who have been stars, the LeBrons, the Steph Currys, the Durants, who are healthy and still playing really well, 
And then you have some guys that have just gotten better at basketball in, in really interesting ways. And Isaiah Thomas and DeMar DeRozan and C.J. McCallum and guys who you thought were good players who have proven to be really, really good players. And, I mean, the league is just full of guys who are elite scorers who shoot 35% and above from three plus 80% from the free throw line who don't really seem to have any considerable holes in their game. Like, you know, the the worst shooting percentage of the top 20 scorers in the league is 42%, followed by 30, 43%. And that's Westbrook, and we know he just he he's got to do that. He's got to take he's going to take a lot of bad shots because he kind of has to generate everything. And then the other one is Carmelo, um, who you know just not having a good shooting season right now. Um, but other than that, everybody is north of forty three percent from the field, and a lot of these guys are shooting again thirty five and up from three point. Um, and you know, as much as people malign how the game is being played today. Um, being able to shoot is important, and being able to make plays is important. And those are key skills in basketball. And we talked about DeRozan, and on the ringer.com they had an article a couple weeks ago on footwork. And I, as a coach, I saved it and I sent it to all my players because it broke down footwork and how important footwork is to being an elite scorer. And DeMar DeRozan was kind of at the centerpiece of it and how he spent – his offseason, working on his footwork. And they just had clip after clip after clip of him getting guys with pivots, <laughs> you know, pivots and up and unders and killing them with the mid-range game, you know what I mean? And it, <laughs> with his athleticism, and when you combine that with fundamental footwork, you get a guy who can average 28 points a game in today's NBA without being able to really shoot the three. Like, it's pretty impressive how he's turned himself into – an elite score, um, and an efficient elite score without having a, a great three-point shot. It's just really interesting. And then you got guys like Isaiah Thomas who are scoring points. Um, in the past, you would expect a guy who's scoring 28 points at five foot nine to be shooting like 39% from the field and just taking a bunch of shots. But he's shooting 40, 46% from the field. This ridiculous. So there's just a lot of interestingly talented people. Uh, then you got guys like Giannis and Joel Embiid and guys like that who are just kind of freaks. Um, and it's kind of like, yo, you're not supposed to be able to do all of that <laughs> at seven feet. You know what I mean? And so the game is at a really interesting place where you have, you know, guys being developed, um, guys developing players who are supposed to be good, being good, or being on a track to be really good. And so it's just had a really good place talent-wise. Um, where, again, somebody like Kawhi Leonard, who's having uh, an amazing year, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, when you got five guys averaging 28-plus points, or six guys averaging 28-plus point points a game, um, I don't know from a talent perspective if the league has really ever been deeper than it is right now. Um, I mean, I think you probably have to go to the late 80s, early 90s, where you had the Jordan kind of – crew in their prime and then you had the bird magic crew kind of phasing out but then you had the Barclays and and the Akeems and David Robinson's kind of coming in and like you had this just like talent across the board um that's where we are in the league um and it's a good it's a good place to be and it makes for a lot of fun tv a lot of fun games to watch um and interesting stuff to talk about but uh it's really interesting I, I think you I think you had an important point 
that, you know, even when we were having our NFL conversation, um, the NBA league-wide um, understands that development is part of greatness. Um, and so even when we have these conversations about quarterback, um, I heard some people have some really good conversations about that today that, you know, people, you know, five, six years ago understood, or even more, understood quarterback playing took a while to mature and that you had to be patient. So we have this conversation about Osweiler. And in that game, I saw a lot of good stuff. And if I took a developmental approach with him, work on his release, change it, but could see what he could become, then you take a different approach with him. And what I love about the NBA is that they've done that with a lot of different players. Like people have really embraced developing players. And players themselves have thought about their own development. And I think when you have something like that, you're, you, in, you increase, like, the pool of talent. So you got these self, you could say self-made stars, right, where they kind of just worked in that place. And you have these folks who have high level of skill coming in who honed it. But you created this pool of really good talent that, that the league has embraced this kind of approach um, throughout all of, you know, from their European developmental strategies to whatever. But this idea around developing talent is it's something that's put the NBA in a really good position that I think is incredible. So and you can see important elements of that in other leagues that you don't see as widespread as the NBA. I mean, NBA right now I think is the hottest league. It's culturally lined up. It's got all kinds of other stuff. I mean, it's like they're pushing every button the right way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and you know, I think, you know, this is, this is PhD's theory, and, you know, he's kind of coined this, but that year <laughs> after – that, but no, the, the the year after, not that theory, but this other theory he's got. The year after your Team USA year, guys just kind of yeah. take a leap. And DeRozan played mm. in the Olympics, and it's yeah. something about being in that environment where all those other top dogs and seeing how guys work and how other guys develop their games. It just it has mm. an immeasurable impact on how guys right. can kind of start to position themselves and understand themselves and get to working on their own craft and. Like, we've seen it year after year after year. After that year, uh, summer with the with the USA Select program, man, guys come back. And I think that's a great incubator for what we're seeing. And mm-hmm. I think that's played a big role in it. And my hope is that with mm-hmm. Colangelo and Coach K kind of moving away from it, it still continues. Because I think just getting all those elite players in the same environment and letting their competitiveness kind of drive those dudes to becoming the best that they can be. I think that's why you see this to the point where even guys who don't make it are now pissed that they ain't getting invited. And so then they in the lab cooking <laughs> up some stuff. When you talk about a Lillard and Isaiah <laughs> Thomas and guys like that, um, I, I think it just creates this great environment. And this great incubator for talent and skill development um, where guys are, are, are thinking about how can they grow and how can they get better. And, and then it, it, it's creating this, this, this great synergy amongst teams where, you have guys who are doing certain things, you know, and it also kind of makes certain guys stick out like sore thumbs. Like if you ain't improving, everybody's looking at you like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> How come you haven't gotten yeah. any better? How come you aren't improving? Like you look at guys like Andre Drummond, who I think he's the reason the Pistons aren't killing it, killing it. Like you got to get better, brother. <laughs> like you got to, like 
you're getting surpassed by DeMarcus Cousins and Carl Anthony Towns. And in a minute, nobody's going to be talking about you. <laughs> you know, like nobody's going to be talking about Andre Drummond anymore. Um, so it, it, it's a real interesting league. And there are a lot of different playing styles. And that's what is really interesting to me is that there are a lot of different types of players. You got fives who can shoot threes. You got fours who can shoot threes. You got fives who just rebound and block shots. You know, the DeAndre Jordan types, you know. Um, you got guards who can score in a lot of different ways, guards who can pass. You got three and D types. You got your Paul George and Kawhi Leonard who can go both ways and, you know, play great defense and then give you 20 on the other end. Um, so it's just a really interesting – the league is really – like, again, Paul George is a star, but we don't we really talk about him like that. <laughs> No boy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to be killing it to really make a name for yourself right now. And I think that's a good place to be in. You know, even LeBron. I mean, as good as LeBron is, like he has been somewhat of an afterthought this season as far as his performance, and he's having a great year. So, it, I I think there's a lot there's a, just a, a lot of good talent, a lot of good talent. So, I want to keep us rolling. We got a couple minutes left. Um, as we finish out this pod, uh, so let's let's start getting into some nitty gritty. Warriors or Cavs? As of right now, halfway through the season, who do you have winning the NBA championship? Who do you think wins the trilogy? I'll start with you, PhD. Huh. I'm gonna go with the Cavs, but I'm not quite convinced that the Warriors will make the finals. San Antonio, man, they – I just feel like they're lurking. I feel like they are um, just – it's one of those years that they're going to be ready. But I will say that if the finals are the Warriors and the Cavs, I'm going with the Cavs. Um, I think the Cavs are one more move away. I don't know if they need it, but I think they will take one more – they will make one more move. There's been some talk that Andrew Bogut will become available. Um, but I think the Cavs will make one more move and, and, and solidify things. I mean, getting Kyle Corver is potentially a big move for them. I'm interested to see how the heat works out, especially defensively. I don't I don't know how long you can play Corver out there. I mean, he's not – we have to ask you, Marcus, what kind of defender is Corbett? He's serviceable, um, serviceable in most situations. Um, there are some matchups that he just – there are some people he just not – it's just not a good look. He's a solid team defender, um, and he can be he can, he can can be a part of a good defense. I'll put it like that. Like, he can be um, a member of a good defensive unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's all you want. You want a guy who can – That's all you want. Who, like – he can be a part of a good defensive five. There are certain guys in the league who, just, no matter what, they just they are not going to be part of a plus defensive five. Um, Corver can be. Um, again, he's not great on ball. Um, he's pretty solid as far as understanding concepts and making rotations. And, again, you know, as long as you can kind of hide him a little bit and keep him away from certain matchups, he's serviceable. And he's going to give you what you need on the other end without taking too much off the plate on the defensive end. Okay. It, it'll be interesting to see how he matches with the Cavs. 
Yeah, LeBron just got to figure out how to throw him that seam ball. <laughs> That's all. LeBron just got to figure out how to get that seam ball to him. That's all. <laughs> um, so you're going with the Cavs. And, you know, the Cavs, I like the Corbin. I do like the Corbin move because I don't think they gave up anything that was um, necessarily, like, key to what they're trying to do. Um, Dunleavy kind of didn't quite pan out the way they were hoping. Um, and I think reloading and reshuffling the deck real quick and getting another guy who could shoot it in on the cheap, um, I think was really important for them. And, and I think that'll be helpful. And again, Corver can do some stuff off the ball, um, as far as shooting and spacing the floor. I mean, that's a, that's a really good shooter that you just got. I mean, this is a guy who flirted with the 50, 90, 40 season, you know, a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's not that far removed from that. And he's still a very good shooter right now. So, um, I, I'm I'm not mad at that move at all. I kind of like it. Um, if they get Bogut, they become really scary. Um, they become really scary. Because Bogut is always a part of plus defensive units. Um, and you throw Bogut as your anchor, and the way he, he guards space and protects and can take away driving angles for, for opponents. And, and he does some really high-level stuff defensively that – you know, most people don't even catch. He's a really, really good defensive center. He just has to stay healthy, obviously. That's been his biggest issue. But um, if the Cavs pick up a bogey, um, that'd be ridiculously good for them, wherever he winds up. If he winds up in Cleveland or San Antonio, um, someplace like that, then it becomes a problem for a team like Golden State. Um, you know, he's not going to hurt them offensively, but he just shuts down that lane defensively in in, in, in good ways. Um Without really being a, a necessarily a shot blocker, um, he just is a shot deterrer, and he's a great team defender. Um, that would be a great pickup. Uh, D. Wills, uh, who you got, Warriors or Cavs? Uh, I I got the Cavs, and I mean, when you think about you know you know Jr. is out now, but you think about bringing Jr. back. Let's say you get Bogut, the flexibility that Lou will have with his team. Um, and the way he can play different matchups are going to be great. And if they get Bogut, I think the biggest asset is that he's a great passer. So he has another element um, as a passing big man. I think he did that well for Golden State, um, his ability to find the open uh, shooter as a big who can pass. But even with Kyle, I think what's great about Kyle, all the things y'all said about, um, you know, the way in which he can fit into a team defensive scheme, um, I think he he brings a little bit more athleticism um, in, in that space than people underrated in that space. Um, but he has unlimited range. He forces you, um, if he can really get in sync with LeBron, he's created so much space for Kyrie and LeBron to work. You just got to respect him. Because he's the kind of cat who can get on and hit 12 points in a quarter, <laughs> hit 14 in a quarter. He'd get on a roll. And I just I think it just gives Lou um, a lot more options. Um, and I think when you got locked down in the series, the one thing that Golden State didn't replace, and I think where they paid the price against the Cavs was their inability to protect the rim. When Bogut got hurt, that that was a big blow to them because LeBron could get to any part of the floor that he wanted to. And I don't think they replaced that by getting Durant. It looked good in a game in Golden State in January. But in a in a seven game series in June, um, when you start you banging, you are coming out of all these series. I think that just uh, the Cavs are going to be fresher coming out of the East. 
and I think that's going to uh, take a toll on Golden State, particularly if they got to get past uh, San Antonio. All right. All good points. All very good points and all very valid reasons to be, to be on with the Cavs. Um, I'm going the other way. I'm going with the Warriors. Uh, you got two of arguably the top three players in the world, three of probably the best shooters in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, what are we going to do with that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, when we really boil it down, you know, you got a conglomerate of talent that we haven't really seen before. And I think that that in itself is gonna, it's just going to be a little bit different. Yeah, they're going to have some issues in the middle. Um, Pachulia isn't a, a rim deterrer at all. Uh, McGee can be that um, if his head's on right. And he's he's been serviceable. Um, he's been solid, but he still has JaVale McGee moments. Um, but just the the things that they can do to a defense with you got to chase Curry around a screen while KD has the ball and Clay spotting up in the corner. What? <laughs> and Draymond is setting the pick and roll screen. Like, huh? Like, what you fit to do with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what we fit to do? What, what we gonna do now? Huh? It's all messed up now. So there are things that they're gonna be able to do to teams defensively. Even if you have a rim protector. They're going to stretch you so far that that rim protector is going to be in spaces where they're going to be uncomfortable, and they're not going to be able to do their job in the way that you want your rim protector to be able to do their job. And they got to figure out how to guard on the other end for sure, but it'll be – I'm banking on that firepower. The name of the game is still scoring buckets, and they have two of the most lethal bucket scores we've ever seen in Steph and KD. Um, and when I mean lethal, I mean lethal bucket scores. And these got guys who can get buckets on anybody. Like there isn't a guy in the world who's going to stop either one of those dudes. Um, and then you add in Clay, who can score 61 points. <laughs> you know, who could go for 60. Um, that's that's a nice third option, a really nice third option. Um, so I, I I think their firepower. And it's going to be their firepower versus the Cavs' versatility. Um, And it's going to be a really, really interesting series. You know, the Spurs, I think, are not the Spurs that we know. Um, There's been a lot of turnover, and there are a lot of guys who are coming in who are playing well, but they don't have those chops that we've known the Spurs to have when it comes to the playoffs. Like, you got Kawhi. Um, Tony Parker still kicking a little bit, but he's not Tony Parker. Ginobili's still around. But outside of those guys, you know, you got Patty Mills, Danny Green, but those guys are role players. They don't have another star who is really like, I've been on deep playoff run. Aldridge hasn't had that yet. Um, And then the other guys that they're depending on are a lot of guys who are developmental and guys at the Spurs are developing which is great. That's what they do. I think this team is a year or two away from being really good and being a Spurs team in the way we know a Spurs team. Um, You know, getting 60 wins just kind of happens for them. Um, So them being at the top of the league and having a lot of wins is not what I look at when I look at the Spurs because they're going to beat you on most nights because they're just going to out-execute 
you know, the, the, the Orlando Magic on a Tuesday night in Orlando. They're just going out. They're going to outplay you. Um, but, again, in a seven-game series, I don't know if they have the firepower offensively outside of Kawhi and LaMarcus Aldridge to really do what they need to do to be able to beat a Golden State or even a, even a Houston to that extent. And defensively, they're still kind of figuring out their defense. Um, this isn't if pop, if you talk to pop, this isn't, this, this team isn't good as their defense really says the defensive numbers say they are as far as he's concerned. And some of that's coach speak, but some of that is like, like they aren't that schooled. They, they aren't that comfortable yet in the defensive system. Um, so the Spurs can be a challenger. Um, but I still think Golden State gets by them because I still think they the Spurs are kind of figuring out who they need to be, who they're going to be um, in a playoff series. And they got a lot of questions to answer. Um, but my guy Kawhi is having he, – he, he's carrying the load. And I think the fact that that team is as good as it is speaks to how uh, important he is going on. Um, what, what I will say – I, I, I did want to do a quick point. I know we're going to move towards overtime. But I, I did want to hit you with a quick point. I, I think part of the argument about Golden State – all things you say are right, but their two best scores are really light to butt, meaning they're frail, meaning that part of, I think, the struggle that they had last year was body blows. In those other rounds leading up to the Cavs, they absorbed a lot of body blows in which when they got to the finals, those things showed up. And so two of the three per people you talk about are kind of frail, in a, in a, in a meaning that Durant is going to be have to play bigger and more physical throughout the playoffs because they don't really have that spot. And what even though they get past those teams, what kind of impact do those kind of battles have on their body that I think will happen more with them than with the Cavs? That's the only point I was making. Well, I, I, think, I think that's where you're mistaken, though, because um, when we look at the Cavs, we, if we pull out Kyrie's injury sheet, it's long. And if we pull out K-Love's injury sheet, it's long. Um so they got some guys who are fragile too and who have a history of being injured. And I think the Cavs, in the way the Warriors may have benefited the year before, um, they, didn't really have a, they re- didn't really have anybody to contest them last year. And I think the East might be a little bit tighter this year. And there might be some more battles in the East. And that might result in some of the guys that the Cavs are dependent upon being banged up. Um, so, you know, a guy's, a guy's injury prone until he's not injury prone and a guy's healthy until he starts getting hurt. Um, and I think that plays a part of it for both teams. The playoffs are the playoffs, and it is a war of attrition. And I think the Cavs are just as susceptible as Golden State is um, to those injuries when you really look at who they're counting on. I mean, K-Love hasn't been an Iron Man, and neither has been Kyrie. They both missed considerable chunks of seasons in their careers. Um, so, you know, I think – they but, probably but those I, two might have more of an injury they history. That, they can manage their load much better than I think Golden State can manage that. Like they can, manage I, I disagree. I think Golden State can absolutely manage their load. You got two of the best. You got two of the three. Two of the best three players in the world. Like ain't nobody got to carry yeah, that load. But, yeah, but but the thing about it is, KD has to play bigger. Meaning that when he's playing against some of these teams, he can bang in a way he hasn't been getting banged. Who does he have to bang with? Who does he have to bang with on San Antonio? He's he's one of the big. Whether if it's if it's Kawhi banging him, who's going to be physical with him, 
just thinking about that, where, where are we at now with this Knicks saga, and where do they go from here? Well, want me to start? I'll just say this. They paid a lot of money for Phil Jackson, and all they're getting is tabloid news. He's made a couple of good um, – Porzingis is something he's hanging his hat on. But he's constantly inserting himself being a disruption in ways that doesn't feel like leadership. Um, and he's the one who's initiated a lot of negative press from what he said about LeBron. He said a lot of just things that don't produce positive outcomes have just been – you can't really follow the logic. Um, and so, you know, for me, I blame Phil for a lot of this because I don't think Phil's delivered on what he said he was going to bring there. I think he's caused more um, distractions and more disruptions. I haven't seen him do anything that has um, really advanced the organization in a smooth way. And so I, I would put Phil on this. But what you pay for him, I don't think you're getting – you could have gotten this paying somebody less. And, um, you know, if I'm Carmelo, I mean, as much as I think he might want to be in New York, if I were him, man, I'd try to find a way out to finish my career. Yeah. I think the situation is looking bleak for Carmelo. And you know me, I'm not a Carmelo fan, but I hate to see a great player in a bad situation. Um, And I think this, like, this is just not a good spot to be in for him. Um, the moves that they've made just haven't worked out. Um, and you're right, Phil's been expected to fix this, and he hasn't. Um, you know, they brought in Carmelo to be Carmelo, and that's what he's been. I mean, that's the other thing about it. Carmelo hasn't been a different player than who he's been his entire career. Um, this is who you this is who you traded for. This is who you brought in. Build around him or move him. I think it's, it, that's where they're at at this point. Either you're building around Carmelo or you're moving Carmelo. There's no really no other option at this point. And for Carmelo, unfortunately, you know he's got a he's at a crossroads in his career where he has to start to position himself to to um, get a championship if that's important to him. Yeah. Because the window for him to be a strong and impactful contributor on a championship team is closing fast. So he's got to find a way to to position himself uh, to be a a second fiddle on a championship team because it's not going to happen with him as the first in the first chair. You know, in the Derrick Rose situation, I mean, D Rose is kind of going AWOL. It's just a lot of stuff going on. And they have a team that's made to win now. I mean, you brought in Courtney Lee, you bring in Joe Kim Noah. Um, These are guys who are in their thirties, early thirties and should be in their primes ready to win. And you're not winning. And so, you know, you got to look at this whole situation and figure out where do you go from here. You don't really have a great stockpile of draft picks or assets that you can move outside of Porzingis that anybody is really checking for. So at the end of the day, you kind of got to figure out where we go from here. And, you know, the Knicks are in a bad spot. And you hire a coach and you interfere with him from day one with a guy who might be able to help you build a culture. You know, that's, right. you know, he's he's interfering at all levels. He's not even letting your guy coach. <laughs> you hire yeah. an assistant, but you I mean, you're interfering at every level, man. Get out of there. Yeah, so the Knicks are a mess. 
you know, I feel bad for my guy Sekou. Um, he's got he's got a. I mean, you got Porzingis, but you just spent all this money, and you really not. You still in the same spot. Like that's been the thing over and over and over. They spend all this dough, make all these moves, sign these guys, and then they're just spinning their wheels again and again in the same spot. They're on this hamster wheel, man. They got to get off of it. They got to get off of it because the rest of that division is going to wake up soon. Philly's going to be all right in a minute. Um, Embiid has got yep. it on the right track. Um, they're playing competitive basketball. Uh, and Simmons is coming back, hopefully after the All-Star break. So it's going to be interesting to see as the Sixers kind of come up, the Celtics are good. Um, they they may get left behind if they don't figure things out. Um, so, yeah, they got Porzingis. That's something to work with. He's a good player. Yeah. So that'll do it for this edition of The Real Sports Guys, brought to you by Carbon World Health. Uh, check us out at realsportsguys.com. Make sure to like us, follow us. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that does it, man. Uh, shout out to Gino R.E.M. and the UConn Huskies Women Basketball Program. Setting a record for wins, consecutive wins at 92. It's just ridiculous. Maintaining our level of excellence is superb. Um, and I'm I'm really, really proud of what they've been able to accomplish. So, with that said, we're going to close this out. Any last words, D. Wills? Hey, man, it's been good to get back on here, man. And uh, I'm glad you and the captain share, brother. Uh, keep it going. All right. We're going to let this ride out. Catch you next time. Peace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.